0: Hey, Yellowstone listeners, this is Caroline.
1: And this is Mike. If you guys are enjoying our Yellowstone podcast, then we invite you to come check out our 1883 podcast. Each week, Caroline and me are going to be breaking down Taylor Sheridan's brand new prequel series to Yellowstone 1883. We're going to have interviews with cast members. We're going to be doing deep dives into the lore. We're going to be connecting it to Yellowstone. It's going to be a lot of fun. So come take a trip into the past with us, 138 years, and experience the Wild West of 1883.
2: You don't see it on your way to work, in the fields, or on the mountain. But there's a war being waged against our way of life. They'll tell you all the reasons why our way of life is is bad Montana. Bad for this country. Bad for our future. How it's immoral that you live here, work here, grow their food here. They will tell it so much you might even start to believe it yourself. Question what you do and who you are. They'll tell you that the land's only hope is for them to be its steward. The ugly truth is they want the land. And if they get it, it will never look like our land again. That is progress in today's terms. So if it's progress you seek, do not vote for me. I am the opposite of progress. I'm the wall that it bashes against and I will not be the one who breaks.
3: This is Sheila. And welcome to Pod Clubhouse's coverage of Yellowstone season four. This is episode seven, titled Keeping the Wolves Close. Today we have Mike also from Pod Clubhouse.
1: Hello, it is me. I Hello am Mike. Mike. Welcome. Longtime listeners who go to the very end know my voice is the one who comes on creepily after every episode. Says, <laughs> creepily. Thank you for listening. Please rate, review, and subscribe to our episodes that's me i'm that guy yeah. hello ladies thank you hello. for having me on i was getting jealous of the dailies i was getting a pop in here to the podcast i was like have me on have me on oh, oh i'm guys. sorry if it's we knew her. that
4: you were you know aching to be on here i would have you know invited you to houston
1: uh, <laughs> aching sounds strong but you know i mean i like to be included <laughs> Yeah,
4: I know. You wanted to get in on the Yellowstone fun. You know, we have a ball over here. Oh, I'm sitting here watching
1: the show every week, and then listening to the podcast, and I'm tired of shouting into the void where no one can hear me. So,
3: (laughs) you could tweet at us, Mike. You could tweet at a lot of people have been tweeting
4: at us. Um, But you could have, you know, you know, you had all these opinions and now you get to share those opinions. So,
1: you know, for a little behind the scenes, I'm the last one who touches the episodes before they go out. Sometimes I just record myself and insert my own thoughts into your all's episode. (laughs) You know, you just talking and all of a sudden it's just like me going, I disagree with that. Oh, no. You're like
3: adding (laughs) these audio clips.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Just like, you know, that kind of stuff. Nice.
4: Like, I've gone back and a Little and Easter listened. eggs for who
1: really listens to the episodes back. Like, right?
4: I've, I've gone back and listened, like, wait, what?
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, you guys, I mean, this is, like, episode seven, only a couple or uh, a few more. Oh, gosh. What are you thinking? I, I, I haven't got a chance <sighs> to talk to either of you. How are you feeling seven episodes into this season four? Because I know it's a little controversial and all over the map in the Y-World fandom.
3: Yes, it is. The fans are, are pretty... Or I feel like they're unhappy with the way this season's going. Or or maybe we're just seeing the most complaints, you know, up front in the feed. But I do wish that we had a little bit more of our story moving forward. I don't know. We were on such a good roll and in, in action and drama of the who put the hit out on the Duttons. And now I don't know what we're doing now. I'm not sure where we're going with this. Like it's Every episode, I sort of think, what would I guess is happening next? And I'm kind of like, I don't really know.
4: Yeah, much the same feeling. Like, any time last week when Paul was on, he's like, you know, well, where do you think this is going? I'm like, I really don't have, like, a good answer for this because there hasn't been, like, the one common enemy or the one, like, dun-dun-dun moment where we're just like, yes, right. we finally got, like, that information. Like, yes, we got the Garrett Randall was behind the hit, but hey. You and I kind of figured that out all along. Yeah. You know, for the most part, I mean, we did have like our other little theories in here, but I think, you know, we really did feel that it was Garrett. So actually, this episode for me did kind of gel a lot of things together. One, we got like the the very beginning of the season or before the season aired, we got the trailer and it showed John at this press conference today that we see in tonight's episode. And I was like, oh, okay, because I'm like, what what would be the moment or the opportunity that John would be at a press conference at this very official looking? I didn't figure that it was the statehouse. I didn't have enough time to figure it out. But the Cluemeister in me was just like, why would he be at a press conference? Like, what happened? Like, is he putting out like a reward? I don't know. But this Mm -hmm. episode for me did a lot of gelling because for me, it sets up the showdown between John Dutton and Garrett Randall.
1: Does Cluemeister come with property or is it just a title? And, uh, you know, is that kind of like a stipend? (laughs) being the clue meister
4: I, I did get some ranch water earlier this season so that's <laughs> that would be my stipend or my uh, my honorarium i suppose that's not such bad swag
1: not such bad no, swag, no. swag hey, you listen, can consume is the best listen, swag there is so. i got something
4: sent to me from somebody who wanted me to enjoy it and it wasn't poison i'm here for it. <laughs> anybody wants to send me free booze tweet at me yeah, i'll right? send you my address <laughs> Although I am still wary of getting any package that says Yellowstone on it. we will still very wary of that.
1: I'm glad that you kind of brought up the bombing and the hit on the Duttons, though, because it feels like that conversation is left out there right now because Casey and John decided to bring Jamie into the fold, right? That, that's kind of where it was left. Jamie was going to go interview the guy in the prison and, and take it from there. I feel at some point, John and Casey are going to come around to that and be like, hey, you know, you know, we haven't really heard from Jamie on how that investigation is going. So I think that's why it feels like they haven't progressed that storyline, because Jamie's supposed mm-hmm. to be taking care of that. But at the same time, at some point, especially now with the friction that's gonna that John has to know is going to come with the governor race, they're going to have to circle back around to that. What's going on with, you know, this guy who, who tried to kill us? That has to be a conversation that they circle back around to in the last three episodes i would think
3: yeah i would hope
4: so for sure and this was also a really interesting episode for me because this is the first time jamie and john have seen each other yeah since all this stuff went down
1: thank god he gave him flowers i mean finally we got an answer right you've had, you had casey and beth Thanks both for
3: the flowers right?
1: yeah casey and beth both talking about how he didn't reach out didn't contact and he kept saying i you know i did i just didn't go through you no you sent flowers apparently like ftd delivered your flowers or 1-800 mm-hmm. flowers you know mm-hmm same um, day yeah or his his assistant maybe same actually <laughs> so, you probably know, yeah sent them so yeah i don't know i feel like there has to be a reckoning on that i mean that was i guess my, my my final thought is they're gonna come back around to the hit i feel like they just have so many stakes in the fire and so many splintering personal issues that it's taken a backseat because again jamie jamie was supposed to be handling this he was on board to handle it and wah wah wah
4: okay can we can we go into my least favorite part of this episode <laughs> I'm going to get so much flack for this, but, uh, okay, can we talk about Jimmy?
3: You're not going to get so much flack because the fans of Facebook and Twitter are not huge Four Sixes fans yet, and they're not
1: loving the Jimmy storyline why aren't you guys on board with it? I I, I, I the Facebook groups so on Facebook groups so and I don't particularly care about them. I care about why you guys feel a little bit like disconnected. because I, I, I'm really enjoying it actually and I'm curious what about it is turning you off. I have an idea, but I'm I'm curious what is turning you guys exactly <laughs> you off. About an it. Idea. I hate
3: when people say that. You answered the question but I already know it. What I want you to say? Well, well because I like, you know what the fans are saying, and I—I I mean, I, I read no, the same and
1: stuff that you guys are doing too. But I'm
3: just messing with you. It's hard to put my finger on it, except for maybe just not a lot is happening there. I think that this is Jimmy's coming of age, like I'm becoming a man story. But it seems to be the side piece to Yellowstone, and maybe not a lot is happening. I mean, they spent like the first five minutes. Of the show on this including the um and then it went into the theme song i was like wait really like that much time and then for me it's it's a lot of time the said. it's a lot of time
4: that's being used for things that are not advancing the major storyline because like i think we were just just yeah yeah we were just saying just you know two minutes ago that there's so much that happened earlier in the season to like reconcile what happened on the hit and you know doing that investigation And then we're taking a lot of different turns. You know, they brought in Carter and even Paul and Caroline when I was, you know, we did that big supersize episode, you know, midpoint of the season. They were talking about all these different sub storylines that were starting to take up more and more room. And it's like, well, Mm -hmm. when are we going to get to the resolution, the question that was still out there? Yeah, yeah. They took care of some of these bad guys. They took out the militia, but you're not getting the head of the snake there. Just yet, You know, you're you're still dealing with the little the little minions. You're not getting to the meat of the problem just yet. So that and also, yeah, this is is this Jimmy's coming of age story or is this about Yellowstone? I get that. You know, right. we're, yeah. we're building yeah, the foundation. Is... And I do have to say this episode, I have to like soften my position a little. This episode, finally, we're getting Jimmy having a conversation with somebody. Yes, exactly. There's some it depth was to it. It's been four episodes of him riding off into the sunset on a half-broke yeah. horse. It, it just hasn't been a lot of substance. I like the Buster Welch, that scene with him, with um, Barry Corbin as well. Like You know, he was getting, mm-hmm. you know, some exposure, but it's, it's all, like, felt like it's an accident that he's there. He doesn't have a place to sleep until, like, the third episode that he's there. Uh, he yeah. doesn't seem to have any interaction with anybody. It just didn't feel like there was a lot of structure. And I don't know if that's intentional to make you just feel uncomfortable for him. But for me, it's just taking up a lot of time. Like, I'm going to watch the four sixes when it comes. Yeah, to like. I'm, I'm going to watch it. I'm already I mean... invested. <laughs> I love Jimmy. I love the fact that they're giving him some sort of a spotlight. But at the same time, I'm like, we have a lot of questions that are still out there that need to be back in Montana, answered, like... back in Montana. Yeah. Right. You know, everything that happening with market equities. You know, I'm still wondering, has anyone found Rourke yet? You know, I've got questions back in Montana. Yeah, exactly.
1: I'm going to play devil's advocate for one second. Yes, it does feel like they're spending a lot of time on it. But if you look at the history of the show since Jimmy was introduced as a character, I feel like they've always spent an unlikely amount of time on him versus any of the other like bunkhouse boys. Right. Mm -hmm. I feel like I have a really good understanding of who Jimmy is because the show has always spent a lot of time talking about that and it was always in the context of you are not a cowboy you are barely a functioning human being how do you even get up in the morning let alone you can't ride you can't rope the only thing you were good at you broke your back on and then you said you wouldn't do that and then you did i think this is finally the payoff for why we've spent all of that time with jimmy over the years because every other person on the show is a badass cowboy already they are a fully formed wrangling ranching roping riding cowboy the audience doesn't get to see how does that person become that person how does Rip become rip the cowboy how you know or lloyd become cowboy lloyd i think jimmy is taylor sheridan's attempt to show us this is how you take an unmolded man and make him a man and make him a cowboy man. And I think that's why he's spending so much time on it together with the fact that he's trying to invest people into four sixes because you guys say right. you're on board with it, but I don't think the, the wide audience is, is yeah. naturally going to be on board of it. I mean, Taylor Sheridan has a lot of shows on TV. None of them are pulling in the numbers that Yellowstone pull in. Even the ones that are about Horson and ranching aren't pulling in the numbers that Yellowstone is. So I think they're spending the time to build that audience but i think it's also to show this transformation jimmy at some point is going to be a rip and You wouldn't buy that if you didn't see what he was going through week in and week out, episode after episode, those long wide shots, that heat. Like, I felt hot watching the start of this episode. It (laughs) feels like a long day because to Jimmy, it's a long day. This is like learning how to read when you're an adult. It's really, really hard learning how to be a man in this way. Is really, really hard. But this is it. This is Jimmy's last shot. What else is he gonna Mm -hmm. do? Failure really isn't an option, not to crib Eminem lyrics. You know, (laughs) success (laughs) is his only option, you know. Paraphrasing. You know, know, uh, you know, (laughs) failure is not. And so um, yeah, he has to learn how to do this or it's all over for him. And I think all of the long shots, the watching him, the montages of him watching him bucking and limping, because now in this episode, he's got a hat, he's got a four sixes shirt, he's not limping you wouldn't understand what that means if you hadn't watched him get his ass kicked so often for so long the last four episodes you know yeah. that that's kind of my yeah, thinking on
4: it no, it's a fair yeah, point a but point. at the same time it's like okay w- you could have cut it down by two minutes <laughs> <laughs> well
1: just, then you wouldn't you hear know, the Tim just, McGraw song Then you the, going to say oh, Tim McGraw I, like, love I mean that.
3: the first few notes I was like Tim McGraw yeah <laughs> like yes my head snapped around I was like that has to be Tim <laughs> oh
0: yes
1: All of that being said, I mean, I didn't need this to be the episode I'm covering for you guys. I just jacked off
0: a horse. Oh, no. Come
1: on. (laughs) Come on, guys. I just jacked off a horse. That's what I get. Paul Paul gets meaningful conversations. I get jacked off a horse. Come on. I'm protesting.
4: This one should have been labeled TVMA. I was not expecting that much of a horse dong. Uh.
3: I wasn't expecting him to grab it. I was like, what the? Oh my god! Too much Lord. information. Way too much information.
1: You have <laughs> to imagine. Know. That's why they gave Jefferson huh? White the podcast. They're like, "Listen, we made you grab huh? a <laughs> horse, so we're also going to give you a podcast.
3: Allegedly, fifteen of them in one day. Yeah. Oh my god!
1: My. Yeah, this is how yeah. the industry works. We're getting a podcast, is, but, but I didn't, you got to jack know. a horse. That's, that's how it goes, buddy. So.
4: But it did endear him to this this little. Little Um, ranch
1: little philly little little, philly that's what i was looking for the horse analogy going a little philly named emily
4: little philly named emily that that kind of almost wants to rhyme yeah this was it was a really sweet moment between them and i think you know moving jimmy into this type of a storyline is good because in my mind it goes to like there's gonna be some mia setup here
3: oh for sure i think she's gonna like eventually show up and he's gonna be like all in with emily and
4: yeah why not I did like how much, I don't know if suave is it? he's more suave this time. Suave? Um, yeah, suave, that's not right. Uh, <laughs> no, cut that out, please. He's, he's definitely, he's definitely suave. more suave now this time when he's talking to Emily, whereas when Mia was you know initially flirting with him he was called like oh shucks like you're so
1: pretty because he's coming a man like this is it this yeah that's he wouldn't if he was still jimmy at the yellowstone he wouldn't have been able to do this he'd be like oh no i fell off a horse yesterday you know <laughs> now he's kind of got he's got some earned swagger like it's all connected he wouldn't have been able to talk to her if he didn't go through what he's been going through it all I don't think shattered anyone pelvis
4: it. courage to talk to girls apparently that's
1: okay that's the connection. there's a, there's a is long, that how it works there's a long arc here I mean in some ways you guys you guys know more about Jimmy than you know about Jamie and Casey you know mm-hmm. I mean, we've spent a lot of time with him and maybe that's not the character that you want to know so well but when it all is said and done and the book is closed you're going to be able to look back on the show and say I knew Jimmy when he was this and now he is this and mm-hmm. that's a that's a character arc. That's a that's a really yeah. thought out character arc.
4: Well, this be the beginning of this was hard for me because I am like, we do love Jimmy. We spent a lot of time of course, talking about yeah. Jimmy, and we're, we've been root for him the whole time. It's just it's taking us away from Montana, where like all of the action we've been cultivated to know is is there. But if this continues, if this type of storyline continues, where he's doing things on the ranch. Maybe not masturbating horses. I was going to say, well,
5: um, but <laughs> let's not continue in, on that.
4: Well, I guess more to my point is like engaging mm-hmm. with staff and with the bunkhouse. Yes. Like there really doesn't seem to be much of a cohesive bunkhouse there. It just seems to be wranglers in their little houses like what we saw last episode out. But I do like the fact that like he is looking the part. He's got a shirt. It looks very professional. Yeah. I like that a lot.
1: I think I read somewhere that the Four Sixes is like the ninth largest city in the country, or something like that. Like, in like terms land, of area, like, like area wise. Yeah. Wow, that that's wow. why it's not a cohesive. It's larger than I definitely read. It's larger than Chicago, land wise, like just area wise. So yeah. I think that's why it's not. It's it's literally like a city. Oh no, I'm sorry. It's the ninth eighth or ninth largest ranch in texas it's not even one of the largest ranches in texas yet it is like the size of chicago that's what i read wow. yeah that's so not, my god it's a lot texas of land a in texas. lot of land <laughs> hey steph big, did you I'm, realize texas is big texas <laughs> is huge.
3: i hate driving like out of texas yeah. yeah i drove from houston to my friend's house and that was almost three hours and yeah. he's out he's quote unquote outside of houston Oof. oh for sure yeah yeah <laughs> I know. My one of my best friends growing up, she lives "quote unquote" in Houston, and I haven't seen her in years because she's over an hour away, and we we both have like three kids, and it's like uh, maybe next time, you know, it's too yeah. far. <laughs>
1: Does the introduction of Emily make you more invested in this now? Or will, seeing how that plays out now that they've actually given him a human to interact with, does that feel like, oh, uh, lean forward a little bit and say, oh, well, what's going on at the four sixes now? Or not enough to, or not enough yet to really make you not care. Not enough this yet,
3: point? I think, but I think we're getting there. For me, though, I think
4: this is the first time I've seen him smile in seven episodes. So, yeah, once this, this stuff continues, then I'll be happy with that.
3: Right So I think we need to go back to the bunkhouse, talk about our friends.
1: <laughs> bunkhouse boys, apprentices and girls.
3: and girl. teeter is is in this episode yeah
1: yeah teeter makes a mistake here though as much as i'm really happy about what teeter did here she brings in laramie into that conversation that she also didn't do anything wrong i'm happy teeter fought for her job and she defended her work ethic and and that you know not only does she wear the brand but she's put the work in to deserve to be there but then she said and i didn't do anything wrong she says but then she says also and laramie didn't do anything either that's between walker and lloyd yeah. Well, no, Laramie is involved in that. Like, Teeter, don't lump yourself in with her. Like, you're a badass work at Ranch Hand. Laramie is just there to be snuggling up on, you know,
4: She's just eye candy at this point. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, uh, but I think because of that, maybe that's what allowed her back in. It went unspoken, but she did invoke invoke her name when she was talking to uh, John Mm. and Rip. I don't know. know. Were you guys surprised that Teeter actually did that? I mean, I didn't think we were going to be gone with her because she's a regular actor on the show, but were you surprised that that's how she did it, that she defended herself and spoke up and said, sir, i lack like a word. Can I have a word, sir? <laughs> what is she saying say? that you're enunciating
4: <laughs> far too much to yeah. have that be a Can I have a word, sir? Yeah,
0: yeah you a gotta a...
4: put some more cotton in your mouth and then... Yeah, a... cotton. <laughs> oh my
3: gosh. I just to I don't use my bottom I, uh... jaw when she speaks. Yeah, exactly. Don't open your mouth when you talk. I don't think I'm surprised that she did that. I mean, it would make sense. That's how she sort of got back, you know, in her place because Rip didn't say anything in the moment handed her her paycheck and said okay get out so I mean what else was she supposed to do like I think that's the best way to go about it is just ask to talk to the boss the man who made the decision.
1: I think I just get the impression that almost everyone is terrified to speak to John Dutton that yeah. works for him so I thought yeah. it actually took a, a decent amount of courage and boldness which again oh, she, she exhibits all of the time but talking to John is like a whole other kind of animal it seems mm-hmm. like for all of them so I no, no, I was impressed with her. I, I I was happy she did that. It it also made it feel like, yeah, you do deserve to be here. I'm glad you're yeah. not gone. So.
4: And she's also a woman who works in a very male, heavily dominated industry. So she has to have some cojones on her to be able to be like, I need to fight for what's right. Because this was a completely across the board kind of sweeping decision without taking into account a, that she has the brand B that she worked, that she works there. that She's not yeah. a Laramie that she's not a Mia. She's a hand. She's there employed. Um, So I wasn't surprised that she fought for her job. I was just happy that she did it with the grace and class that she had. And when she approached John, she took off her hat. Like, that's a sign of respect. It's very subtle. But I, I noticed it. I saw it. And I appreciated her... Maturity in that situation because, you know, she's she's a bit of a fun-loving girl, so she tends to not always be the most up-and-up when it comes to the way that she just, you know, expresses herself. But I thought she yeah. was very eloquent here for Teeter, and I thought she was very respectful. Well, you know, she's she's from Arkansas. Taylor has—Travis, uh, rather, has made it clear she's, <laughs> she's not, not, not from, from Texas. Texas. She, don't tell people you're from Texas. Um, I was, I was happy that she fought for herself because it gave everyone, it gave us the audience a chance to see John's reaction to the brand as well.
3: Well, Sheila, that's what you and I mentioned last time is like, how can she be kicked off? She wears the brand, like, doesn't that mean something? And so it's only right that she brought that up and was like, hello, like, why did I do this if it's not meant for loyalty?
4: And the way that John's face changed when she showed Mm -hmm. him, like, I wear this, like, doesn't this count for anything? And his, even with the sunglasses on, like, that's how good an actor Kevin Costner is. You can see the the micro expressions on his face and he looks at Rip and, you know, wants a word. So I just like the fact that we got to see what the brand means to John Mm -hmm. in the larger context of things, too.
1: I also like that we got to watch him learn about it at the same time. Like, yeah. you know, what that wasn't information that was passed off screen because, again, I, I would have felt shortchanged if we had seen that off screen. But they got to show us him learning about this and him telling Teeter yeah. to go wait over there. And, you know, Rip and or Casey are going to this is going to come up again. The fact that because it does dilute the brand, right? It dilutes what it means if yeah. everyone wears it, even yeah. though John still feels like he has to respect it. So I'm, I'm looking for that when that karma comes around.
4: One thing about the brand, though, like it does, it doesn't in a way dilute the brand, but at the same time, it's Rip reminding John of what these guys did to earn right. the brand, right? That they're defending the ranch that you know against Wade and the the encroachment that was happening there, and then also that. It kind of got lost in the fact that, you know, your life was attempted. Right. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, maybe there just wasn't a time to bring up. Oh, by the way, we, we branded six additional ranch hands or whatever it ended up being. Um, <laughs> maybe there just wasn't a time or place with him in a medically induced coma for
1: months. Well, I mean, right, for sure. Exactly. That's, yeah. I mean, that's what Rip says. And and just a little clever writing is when Rip is telling him when it happened, he adds in the little bit. He says, you know, it happened the night before the hit when we were taking care of that thing. And then he adds in four. years you which mm-hmm. he didn't have to say but he did and i think that this, that's just clever on rip's part to be this middleman this representative of the bunkhouse yeah they did this thing for you john how is he gonna how is he gonna protest after that you know they they did this thing not because they wanted to they did it because they were being loyal dutton soldiers so they were
3: ordered yeah. to exactly
4: yeah. right there's a difference here right just good morning but that comes back again. The fact that they were told to do it uh, comes back again in this episode. Can I tell you how much I loved the teeter hug?
1: I went, oh, <laughs> it melted like, my that, cold heart.
4: It, <laughs> it just looked it looked very awkward and it looked very uh, it looked painful, like you're kind of hugging a saddle, too. But um, just the fact that Rip kind of reciprocated, he kind of like patted her on the back. I was like, oh, you you big teddy bear, you. Aw, you guys.
1: Well, because then she didn't know what to say. She's like, you need help with your shit. He's just like, just go get your stuff. Like, God, like, enough of this. Like, you got your job back. Anything you say now is only going to, like, worsen your position. Like, you've got what you wanted. Just right, go the, get your... The
4: slate is white clean. Don't start right. marring it up. Right, <laughs> yeah. right, right, You
1: already blew up the, the brand spot to the boss. Like, I don't need you to keep talking here. So, I, is that why she apologized? Because she says, I'm sorry, but it's a little unclear in the context that she said it. Is she saying she's sorry because she brought up the brand and that was kind of like a nuclear option? Like maybe they weren't supposed to talk about the brand out in public? Because that's not really something anyone ever does talk about. Not out in the light of day. No one ever shows their brand willingly.
4: That's probably what the I'm sorry is. I think she was like feeling a little bad that he got like called to the principal's office there. <laughs> after she aired her brand.
1: Uh, we got to talk about that other bunkhouse boy, Lloyd
4: lloyd Such i know. a sigh of relief here although like it had me like on bated breath right to the end because uh yeah the whole pawn shop thing did anyone not think he was buying a gun because no. i certainly did well, i certainly
1: did
3: i thought like because when he walked in they scanned you know the items they did scan the guns but then they scanned the guitars and I was like, right, but then he's handing
4: this, the belt, the belt buckle yes. is being slid across. Yes, the I guns are right below over the, the guns, glass yeah. cabinet. Yeah. But the music was ominous in the background. It just sounded very much like this was his only way out, kind of a thing. I'm so f- glad that he chose path B. He chose the high ground.
1: Well, well, that's the interesting question though, right? Is because I think everyone is, I think where most people are going to go, he was, he was looking there to buy a gun, you know, wages wise. Now, why though? For me, it was, oh, Lloyd's going to kill himself. Like he, he is so embarrassed and or done with everything, like he hasn't been able, he actually can't get over it. He's, he feels like maybe he's like lost too much face or whatever the show is face. Like I thought for sure I went right to Lloyd is going to use this gun to kill himself. So I was very relieved at the end of the episode.
4: <laughs> I went there too. I thought it wasn't going to use it on Walker. I thought he was going to use it on himself. I thought that they, this was like the end of it for him that he had nowhere else to go. You know, nothing else to do because he was so hurt by everyone defending Walker
0: mm-hmm. last
4: episode that, that's where it came to this head so that's kind of where i went to
1: i know you guys talked about it a little bit last week with paul and but again this is one of those where i was shouting at my phone i think it's really <laughs> shitty how the bunkhouse treats lloyd over walker i get walker is just a kind of a good time guy he's got the he's got the buckle bunny he's got the guitar you know and lloyd is this grizzled piece of beef jerky and all that stuff but like lloyd, <laughs> lloyd taught all of y'all how to be men like you know before yeah. you know ugh, it bothers me greatly when lloyd when Lloyd finally stood up to him and was like, I've been here forever. And he's like this new guy that no one likes. What is happening? I felt exactly for him. So, I, not to bring up a thing you guys talked about last week, but I'm with Lloyd. I am very unhappy with how the bunkhouse treats him because then they reinforced it in this episode. When he gets the guitar and then everyone's like, oh, sigh of relief kind of thing. Yeah. Then they give him a beer. Keep your fucking beer. I'll go get my own beer. I don't need your pity beer. And you chose Walker over me. (laughs) Fuck you guys.
0: (laughs) Jesus. All right. That's
1: what I have to do to get a beer. I have to buy that motherfucker a guitar. No. No. sorry i'm cursing probably more than you guys normally curse but i always put uh these as explicit so we're just earning that grade today so. i know
3: one of my friends said that though i like sent them the link to the podcast and they're like oh stephanie you're explicit I'm like uh no mostly yeah, have me. you seen yellowstone
1: <laughs> right, right yeah 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 yeah. you remember when they beat each other for over an hour last week yeah yes. right me saying yeah. the f word is not so bad
3: exactly yeah. yeah. um, i mean we've already jacked off a horse where where else can we go
1: uh, did someone talk for Jimmy? <laughs> I just jacked off a horse.
0: I'm getting used to it. We got 15 more to collect. Oh, God.
1: All night, guys. Thank you for All that. Okay, night. I'm not
3: going to say it anymore. <laughs> he just has it, like, queued up, ready to I go. I literally <laughs> have
1: it queued up. Yeah, it's it's my... like
4: that show, uh, I don't know, Steph, you probably aren't old enough to remember this, Mike, but you probably remember, uh, you can't say that on television from Nick Nickelodeon when we were kids. Oh, oh,
1: sure, of course. I kind when they say, of remember like, that. The,
4: like, they say, I don't know, and then, like, the slime, the green slime dumps on their head. Yeah. And, so, anytime we say masturbator, you know, it's going to oh. be queued up.
1: Did you guys see what the buckle was that Lloyd traded in his one, one-of-a-kind buckle? No. It made me laugh. I want to
4: know what that was. The 2004 Angry American Tour?
1: And that's what it said. It was a belt buckle for the 2004 Angry American Tour, which I Googled and I did not come up as a rodeo stop or, or any kind of circuit. Mm. I could not find it, but that's not to say that it's not. Or it was just a funny thing, but definitely made me laugh because i had it i like screenshotted it then i rotated the picture to to like see what it says i was like that i just turned
4: my ipad i was like
1: you know whenever i do that (laughs) the thing just flips around with me yeah exactly oh (laughs) no (laughs) i
4: have it on screen lock so that the orientation lock rather so it doesn't move on me
1: well look at you steve jobs you smart yes. <laughs> uh what did you guys think of ryan bingham's song the poets which he plays with the guitar are you guys i know you guys are into the music of yellowstone you have your spotify playlist is yes. is ryan bingham like one of the guys that like you're tracking when you're when you're keeping he adding songs definitely to
3: that? for me for sure i'm a huge ryan bingham fan and I'm, like, following him on Instagram. I'm, like, responding to his stories, and he never answers me. It's fine, Ryan Bingham. And uh, so you anytime— need to, You need to add him with the Lone, uh, the lone River Ranch. Boy. I That's know. What, I know. Yeah, uh, yeah I'm, I'm, like, all about his Instagram. So he's, like, playing tours in Texas right now. He has a sell-out show in Fort Worth, which is only four hours away. <laughs> But I'm not going to drive there, so he needs to come to Houston. Um, but yeah, i um always... And that's the
4: wrong side of Houston, because if it's on the other side of Houston where your friend lives, you ain't seeing him. Yeah, it's too far. I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs>
3: um, yeah, I mean, I'm following all of his music and keeping up with it. I always like when we get to hear him sing. I didn't get to hear too much of the words of the song. I liked how everyone just sort of like stopped and listened and he said it was for Lloyd and so I was trying to see how that connected he said the poet writes a song in blood so yeah that's, like a, it's like mm-hmm. a lonely
4: poet like that's what I yeah. got it's like a song about a lonely poet and um I, I just liked the overlay of the scene then that Lloyd is like back working with the bunkhouse like he's back regular wrangling mm-hmm. again he's not doing these like shit jobs that Rip was you know using to teach him a lesson so it was like this nice segue that like all is okay again
3: yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, you look at the lyrics on the song, you could find them up on Google. I mean, it's mm-hmm. very much about a loner or song. It, it feels like it could be very much a Lloyd song. It's, uh, you know, some of the words are um, where the coyotes are calling, stars keep on falling, your mother, won't sh- she won't be around, a feather blows down the road and the wind is cold, your wings are broke, <laughs> your heart is living on the run. This one was funny. It was, uh, and the band keeps on playing and with beer bottles breaking and the barmaid, I heard she pulled the gun poet takes a pistol points it at his sister says honey your day is done and then you get back to the poet writes a song in blood so yeah very much very much like the loner cowboy kind of on the range uh mm-hmm. which obviously is how walker sees lloyd but you know an outlaw kind of like himself i think he very much sees himself the same way so
4: yeah i just hope that this is the end of the uh the strife in the bunkhouse i need them to go back to being comic relief because I definitely like a cohesive bunkhouse as opposed to this stabby guitar breaking. Stabby. (laughs) Stabby. Stabby. Was it not stabby last week? It was. Pretty stabby.
1: Just as a a theory on the stabby stabbiness of it all, is it possible Lloyd, who I'm sure has stabbed many people in his life, he just seems like that's a thing he's done. (laughs) Did he intentionally miss his heart that he went high into his collarbone as to mess up Walker, but not actually kill him? Just really mess him up a bunch.
4: For me, it just felt like that wasn't something that Lloyd has probably comfortable doing the far away stab the uh the the ringling brothers circus you know stab like throwing the knife i think he's much more of a close up close and personal kind of person like we saw him earlier this season like garroting the guy in the the jeep he's a hands-on dude so yeah i feel like that might have been like his dive Right, so that he didn't have to actually kill him, but it was just a way to like really mess him up and like you know maybe kill a nerve so that he can't play guitar
1: anymore because
4: it, it was his left hand. So like that's where mm-hmm. all the the interesting stuff happens with the
1: guitar. Interesting. I mean, interesting. maybe maybe making the you know position to Laramie, you know, that guy can't even use his left arm anymore. Come over to my bunk, you know. Maybe right. like oh. it, it increases his street value, you know.
3: Oh my gosh. Who knows. <laughs>
4: There's not many streets in Montana. Yeah, <laughs> more roads. <laughs> uh,
1: well, trail value. That there was. you trail
4: go. Trail value. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, do we want to move on to Carter now? I feel like that's like if we're in the bunkhouse, like he would be the next like bunkhouse guy. We got to kind of talk about.
0: Yeah. for
4: me. So. Last episode, Steph and I were a little concerned that he was looking up to John as his uh, his role model. Yeah, I want to be fair. him. Okay. But I liked this interaction between. I like when John interacts with Carter. It's filling the void where Tate seems yes. to have like completely left the Duttons high and dry completely. So anytime I can see John interacting with Carter, I'm like, okay, this is good. What he says to Carter. If, again, this is one of those like moments where I'm having Caroline in my head like laughing like that's not what a fourteen year old say a fourteen year old is not gonna say that ship has sailed, but John tells him <laughs> to go swim after it to fi- you know figure out how to make things right with Beth and I just like the fact that you know John has this little pet name for him, calls him big fella, he's trying to make a connection with this kid, and I don't know if he knows the impact that he's having on Carter, but I just like the fact that he is responding to to john's influence and to rip's influence as well like we definitely see a bit of a sea change in how he's talking to rip and how he's he's becoming more respectful he's falling into the ways of the ranch and what about you steph did you like how this was coming about
3: i mean i think it's good that carter finally approached beth to to like apologize but he didn't really say anything or apologize but it was just it's it's It was good to see. And it's cute that like, yeah, he's, I guess the only thing he could think of would be to bring her flowers. And yet she's like, yeah, I don't want that. So, I mean, that's good to think past that. Like, okay, giving you flowers might be nice, but is that really an apology? Is that really making things right? Is that really owning my actions? I think he needed to say more in his approach with the flowers
4: i don't think he was there to say he was sorry i think he was just a way to make an amend so that she would do something for him again i'm going to come back to my initial thought Mm -hmm. about him that he's he's oh i definitely think
3: he was saying i'm sorry because he was told to
4: No, I'm not even saying that. I'm saying that, like, I think he was just coming to give her flowers so that she would bring him into town so that he could get the hell out of Dodge.
3: He wanted Mm, to leave. That's true. Yeah.
4: So he needed her to do something for him because, as Summer showed us last episode, there's no Ubers out there. So and he doesn't Mm -hmm. have any money to go leave the ranch. So he wanted to, like, you know, hedge his bets in foster care. He wasn't there to say, I'm sorry, I don't think
1: i mean i think he already tried the i'm sorry route right i mean he they had that conversation about how he he told her what he kind of did wrong and you know i tried to get more than than the bargain and she was like you know you know we didn't have an agreement or a bargain or whatever i think this was more he just needed to get her to stop being pissed at him because it's weird that she was still holding a grudge i think it was more i feel i feel like she felt like she got taken so he needed Mm -hmm. to get past that and figure out whatever that was and you know whatever his, his his approach of, I need a ride into town because this ain't no life and I'm going to take my chance for foster care. I think that was all pretty calculated on his part to get her rolling on that because she's either going to call his bluff and they're going to get in a car or it's going to lead to the conversation that it leads to where she does have a soft spot for him. Cole Hauser may not see Rip in Carter uh, from our uh, my yeah. interview with him earlier yeah. this season, but everyone yeah. else does, my man. We everyone do. Else we does. Do. 100%. And I think Beth sees that, too. And a foster, foster family is going to, you know, foster system is going to rip you up and spit you out and is going to leave you in a much worse position four years from now than you are now. And and yeah. I think it really, him saying that was, again, a little manipulative, but, mm-hmm. you know, you, you Kinda of have to be manipulative if you're gonna be on the Dutton Ranch. It's part of the charm of the place is someone's always trying to zoom someone, you know, like it's all it's all a game and a scheme in a lot of ways. So I think he can learn a lot from Beth. I think he has a lot of Beth-like qualities that she can shape and mold for good or bad i'm not gonna make an opinion say
3: are we sure we want beth shaping and molding carter i mean it's either john or neither one really should be Uh, advising a child
1: i am well see i'm in i'm deep in the tank for for beth and john the way they do things so i i got no problems with that and listen (laughs) his upbringing who he is where he is exactly he needs, I mean, he needs some skills to survive. And so she's going to give him skills that will either get him killed in a spectacular way or he will become the president of something someday. He's going to become a Dutton one way or another. Maybe not by blood, obviously not by blood, but he's going to become a Dutton in spirit. In a way, it feels like that Jamie never was. Jamie got a lot of the conniving aspects of being a Dutton. I feel like Carter will get that plus the work ethic aspect of John's work ethic and, and obviously Rip's work ethic. Mm-hmm. He could be a better version of what Jamie, you know, the, the, the first pancake uh, that Jamie <laughs> is. <so. laughs>
4: <laughs> oh my god, so. that is so true. Though, like that first pancake is always ruined. <laughs> it's fir- never, it's never
1: the, a good one. The first adopted foster pancake, you know. And oh. in- yeah, no, so, I, I knew where you
4: were going with that. Yeah, yeah no, I got it. Clarify. I got it. Oh people like, well, gosh. he
1: was the oldest, but you know, uh, but no, to just to state that off. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, can we listen to this clip a little bit uh, from them and, and talk about what's go- what's going on here and whether or not, especially the "don't lie to me" or "never lie to me," is that something that Carter is actually going to be able to? live up to here's the clip
5: what do you want to become what's your dream I don't have any dreams no i'm too busy trying to figure out what i'm gonna eat and where i'm gonna sleep Dreams. come here You do what I ask, the way I say do it. You ask questions when you don't understand. You ask questions when you do understand. Never lie to me. Can you make that promise and keep it? I can keep it.
1: So I think he can definitely do what she says the way she does it. I think he'll definitely ask questions because he seems like a kid who asks questions. I feel like there's going to be some rubber hit in the road at some point where something is going to happen and he's not going or he's going to be put in a position of whether to lie to her or not. Maybe not for his own good, but for Rips or John's or someone else at the ranch's sake. He's going to be in this position of whether or not to tell the truth. Uh, what do you guys think of that? What do you think of his reaction to I don't have time for dreams. I'm trying to stay alive here
4: i said from day one i was like this guy is he's conniving he's he's looking for a ride because he hitched his wagon to the biggest wagon there is in montana and it was further reinforced i'm very cynical i know but it was further reinforced for me when he had the whole fit tantrum in the store with beth and i just feel like this is another layer of his manipulation not to say that he's not being truthful I think he is being truthful but at the same time I think that he's also tugging at her heartstrings to find out a if she has them and b in order to solidify his position because he doesn't want to go to foster care he is 100% doing this to make sure that she comes back into to the fold of him and having her invest in him so that this way he doesn't have to worry about eating and sleeping and benefiting from the fact that one, now John being his looked-upon role model, uh, he doesn't want to be separated from him. And as things go, like it's not a bad gig being in the bunkhouse at the Yellowstone right now. He's just got to get himself out of the barn. But I just think that he's more manipulative than we're giving him credit for.
3: Yeah, I think that he's definitely doing what he needs to do to to stick around and to have like what he needs, like a place to sleep and food to eat. But I think with Beth, you know, it, John and Rip keep telling him, you got to make it right with her. You you made her mad. You pissed her off. Like, So I think he's there to try to get on her good side just because he's told to. And that's the only way he's going to stick around, I guess, for a long term. So I'm a little worried what she's like— what is she thinking in terms of Carter that she's asking him to agree to these terms already? Like, do what I say when I say it. And like, she's not going to go out in the in the field and teach him to ranch and cowboy. Like, what is she going to teach him so, that he has to agree to right now? So I, I don't know. I'm a little, I guess, worried about that.
1: Well, I mean, she said she she said in this episode she has a really bad track record with assistants. They keep dying or or, or being disloyal <laughs> no, or, or being no, run off, no. you know. And so you know, I, I think I think for her being a mother or you know becoming this mother figure that or de facto mother figure is going to be teaching her the ways of how to be a Dutton the at the side of the business that's not ranching and roping and riding. Hmm. You know, ripple do that. And and just to your point, you know, she's like I don't think. I, I mean, yes, you're being. I think you're being super cynical uh, on him (laughs) I, I i don't think it's a knock on a kid who's 13 14 years old who had a piece of shit father and is now finding himself an orphan to scrabble scrape and scratch eyes to try and survive I don't fault him for that. And he's busted his ass. He's not loafing around. He's not whining and bitching about having to, you know, haul horse shit and saddle horses. He's just soaking it all in. hes I think he's making the best of an opportunity that fell into his lap. He didn't know she was Beth Dutton when he was crying on the bench. He just had the smart, I think, to take advantage of the situation that's been plopped into him. And he knows enough that the other path is dark and hazy and probably filled with early death to do anything possible to stay here you know the devil you know we heard a lot about the devil you know versus the devil you don't in this episode and i think carter knows enough to know that this devil is better than most he's going to find I'm into it. I'm glad that he's back on her side. I want him to be like a little mini me, you know, Austin figure, you know, Austin Powers kind of like mini me figure. <laughs> they got
3: the little stray kid, is what they said. Little stray, yeah. kids. because
1: Rip was the little stray st- kid. How funny was yeah. that? I don't mind stray kids. No, of course you don't. Rip was the stray kid. Like exactly. you love stray kids. That's your thing. Jamie was the
0: stray
4: kid. Come on, yeah. Jamie was you know the first pancake here. First, first pancake, stray <laughs> kid.
1: You know, and then <laughs> then he did better with Rip, and now they'll get it right with. Well, they'll right. get it right with Carter. Yeah. So,
4: I, we oh got a God. fluffier, you know, more you know. <laughs> <laughs> enticing pancake here
1: Yeah, now you're all oh making me hungry God. so we got to.
4: <laughs> some, <laughs> some,
1: someone's having breakfast or dinner tonight so we gotta move
4: along um but mike to your point from before i do think the never lie to me thing is going to come back to us because he's 14 he's going to have to lie in between now yeah. and the time he's an adult for whatever reason a 14 year old or, or better boy has to lie for so yeah i feel like the intentional statement of that is like laying down the gauntlet like the challenge is there because he's going to be in that position at some point soon moving on to the the next round of Duttons that uh that we see here today um Monica and family are settling in nicely into their home in their their little uh non-John Dutton uh <laughs> homestead Steph what was your your thought about Monica looking for Tate and then like freaking out in like like three seconds when she couldn't find him right away is that valid
3: yeah just based on recent events, like not valid in where she's at and you should feel secure now in this home. And they seem to be out pretty far from other people. So I wouldn't think that he was like kidnapped, but I think that's what, if your son had just been kidnapped, like, yeah, you would, that would trigger you if you're like, wait, where'd he go? So yeah, I mean, any mom is like all of a sudden like, wait, where's my kid? And then when they don't answer you, it's like, oh my God. So I think she definitely has the right to respond that way.
4: So Mike, since this is our first time having you on here, what is your like hot take? Like, where are you at with the whole Monica Casey living off the ranch on their own with Tate? Is this going to heal him? Is this, is this good for them? Is this, what are your thoughts?
1: I mean, yeah, I, I think Tate uh, kids are resilient and I think they take a lot of cues from their parents. I think at this point, if tate is gonna have any kind of residual issues i think it's gonna be probably just him picking up what monica is putting off you know the fact that she went to like zero to freak out just because he didn't respond and it went from tate 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 you know yeah. to you know yeah. like really quickly i don't blame her for that i mean it's understandable that she still is dealing with like this ptsd from this event but Tate is with his dad. They're in this isolated area. And, you know, you think back to when Casey finally showed up and pulled him out from under the bed, you know, it was him turning him on and going, The boy's fine. You're making him like this basket case, which I think is oversimplification, but kids I think more times than not are going to take their cues from their parents and so if Monica is going to continue to act like we need to live in fear well then he's going to continue to live in fear or at least partially Mm -hmm. in fear Mm -hmm. if they're going to be brave and face the world then Tate will be brave and face the world, and that's what he's getting from his dad right now. Out with the dog and and then tracking and stuff. That's Tate being Tate. That's Tate being the Tate that we've seen him with John. We've and uh, John and Casey when they went on their first hunt together. That was that Tate was who he was out in the field, learning and listening to his father about how to track. And I like that Tate. The Tate who's going to be cowering under the bed is not any kid that we want to see. Right? We want we want to yeah. see him being able to stand back up on his feet because. That's a lot of life to live. But Monica has to chill out, though, if not for her own sake, which definitely for for her own sake, for her kid's sake. Right. Because he's going to pick up on that, that mom lives in fear. And now this thing where he has to jump in and curse at the table so that she stops yelling at Casey (laughs) about Avery. (laughs) Well, what's your take on all this? Because I remember Casey and Avery having chemistry. Avery was a very impressive, you know, rancher, and she really jumped in and and was like a, a, a took guise. off
3: her pants really fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah but not in like a <laughs> I'm you know, joking, right?
1: right. But <laughs> no, like, yeah, I but know. like you know, in a in like a more attractive teeter kind of way, right? Yes, exactly. No, I <laughs> you know, yeah. not not like a Laramie, I don't know, buckle buddy kind of way, but kind of like you know, these yeah, are, yeah, these, yeah. are boobs, these are boobs, these are my panties. Let's get down to work because that's what I'm here for. Yeah, I'm not here to like exactly. bone you guys, but. But Monica's (laughs) acting like – well, I mean, I wouldn't say what I wrote in my notes, but, uh, you know, Monica's (laughs) acting like that he, like, has affirmatively done something, and I don't think he's acted – I don't think he's given her pause – to react the way in which she seems to be reacting is that off base am i being a guy here is monica within the rights to behave the way she's Mm. been behaving the last two episodes with uh, respect to Avery?
3: i don't know about you being a guy on that point but it's like monica's definitely being a girl about it but like rainwater pointed out you can see when someone's looking at you in a certain way so i mean she's not blind and she's not dumb. So, yeah,
1: but guys aren't I always think good about just, that, though. Guys aren't no, always good about picking up on that. Guy. He
3: no, like, they're not, but yeah. she already knows. Like, she could see it. So, oh. I think it's just a defense mechanism, like, or protective of, like, hey, she's looking at you. Like, I mean, you're going to make those comments if you're feeling a little bit insecure about it or, or. Jealous, if you will. But, I mean, she can see, you know, the way he lo- she looked at her husband. So she's going to make a comment like, oh, you're going to see her. That's insecurity. But people make those comments when they feel that way.
1: I don't know. If, I, if I'm Casey, I, I, he should just be like, Monica, like, have you looked at yourself in a mirror? Why am I going anywhere else? Know, that's how I would respond about this. <laughs> well, he
3: didn't. It did not work out, when he's like, "Oh, she's not my type." Like, really? Well, no, well, that's stupid. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Casey, I mean, you're not helping. <laughs> I
1: mean, you're you're not like you know. Don't. Be that like yeah. that, that's too fun. That's that's dis- disingenuous. But be like yeah. you know, you know, I got the hottest Native American on the reservation right now. You know, something like that. Yeah. I, he's not helping the situation for sure. But no. what do you think? What do you think, Sheila?
4: But like you know, but Casey's also smiling like he can't help himself. Like you know, he's mm-hmm. at the breakfast table. He's got like this grin on his face when he's talking about it, and. I'm trying to figure out if it's to goad Monica a little bit. But I don't think so because they're so tenuous. Like, she's so fickle when it comes to him. Like, I hate you and I love you and it's back and forth. So I don't think he's trying to rock the boat there. But at the same time, he still has this shit-eating grin on his face any time that Avery <laughs> does come up. So, you know, I'm not so sure. But I'm going to give credit to one of our Twitter listeners who sent us a message earlier in the week saying that, you know, do you think some of this might have to do with the fact that Monica cheated? And I was like, quick with the Ross from Friends. We were on a break yeah. when she had that little affair yeah. when, you know, her and Casey were separated. She moved out. Maybe that's kind of some of that guilt coming back in a deflecting kind of a way.
1: I think Steph got it right. I think she's picking up on vibes that Casey's missing. And obviously, obviously, Monica was right to suspect because you have that whole thing at the end. I thought that was extremely bold and completely not something I ever picked up on from Avery you know, love it for sight? Really? Yeah. That no. seemed like a lot. That seemed like revisionist history to me. I don't know. Did you guys ever she get that vibe from when she was on the show? No. No. No,
4: she was Mm-mm. she was kind of into Jimmy. Like Jimmy was looking at her and, you know, she was kind of like making eyes back at him. When they had gone to the store that time that he ran into his old meth buddies. Um yeah, yeah so she was kind of a free agent if you will. I never got that, you know, version of events from her.
1: Good on Casey Agreed. though for saying uh, I'm married if you had it noticed
4: like nip that nonsense right in the bud because rainwater gave him the heads up too that like giving validation to what monica was saying you know uh anyone's trouble who looks at you like that so exactly yeah so it put it put it on casey's radar that you know maybe monica is right and he needed to do something about it so yeah kudos to him for doing that you know i believe in love at first sight when i saw my wife yeah that's how i felt
1: what do you think steph do you believe in love at first sight
3: mm, not really i mean i definitely believe in attraction at first sight
1: if it was Luke
3: but <laughs> Mm -mm. Attraction, yes. Ryan Bingham. Nope. okay. (laughs) Just just attraction. No love at first sight. No.
1: Lust Mm -hmm. more like lust at first sight then.
3: Okay, there you go. Same thing. Attraction, lust,
1: whatever. Uh, I would stick with the L words. How about you, Sheila? Love at first sight? You're buying it?
4: No. No, it's not love at first sight. It's lust at first sight.
1: Well... Aren't we a uh, Valentine's Day card? In yeah, a, in right. A hall, <laughs> a, we're <laughs> watching Hallmark's newest line. I don't know. I mean, I really hope that they weren't going to do a lot with this this Avery yeah. storyline. I feel like there's so I much hope more. So too. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like there's so much more they could do with Monica and Casey as a family. Uh, and they don't need this. So I'm hoping that this yeah. goes away pretty pretty quickly. We'll see. We'll see. I mean, they've resolved. They got the Stallions back, guys. I got to tell you, I remembered and I hadn't thought about it in forever. I love watching wild horses run. I could have watched that montage for like 30 solid minutes of the stallions running from the pen to pen. It I, was yeah.
4: very soothing. I agree.
3: I was like, ooh, I like that one. Ooh, look at that one. Yeah, like I was, was pointing like,
4: out which horses really, I liked. There were some really beautiful. beautiful horses in there. But yeah, like just seeing that and seeing how the most plan worked and just seeing the stallions running was just very beautiful.
1: I also like that the show gave a little bit of the jargon with uh, the Bureau of Land Management or the Interior Department and who has jurisdiction. The government's so fucked up with how it divvies <laughs> up natural resources and like open land and and the reservation management systems in this country. Uh, so it was like a, it was actually a good question. I was happy that that Casey thought about asking like who actually has jurisdiction here. I was shocked that anyone actually knew the answer. You know, there's so many yeah. you know, so many different government acronyms you have to know when it comes to that kind of stuff. What do you guys think? Is Shunka a good name for a dog? Are you guys on board with? Sure, uh, with that the, is an that?
4: excellent yes. name
3: for
1: a
4: dog.
3: I love that dog. He's so cute.
1: Good. He's very good. Are you guys on board for a Casey Mo spinoff show? Because I'm definitely looking.
3: Spinoff for that. show? No. No, really? I think yes. they're
1: fantastic together. I love. Well, at least oh, Moe. No, I like oh, that I love together. Moe. If,
3: oh, if, I love Mo.
4: Put Mo in a TV show, and I will. I will follow him anywhere. I find
3: him very captivating. What kind of I... show do Moe and Casey need together though? Detective
1: like, just... show, obviously. Long, uh, long, low, Longmire. Longmeyer. Long, long, long
3: arm of the law.
1: It's Longmire, long- except for it's, you know, it's with them instead. it's like a buddy comedy version of Longmire. That's the show. Uh, I, don't I
4: don't know. I, I don't get comedy from either Casey no. or Mo, but well, I think it's definitely... like dry
1: humor, like Law yes. and Order. You know, remember of like uh yes, you like know, Lenny Briscoe, and, Lenny Briscoe and, level yeah. kind of humor. Uh, yes, you know, very little one
4: liners, little little zingers
1: so i'm 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 doing that petition i i I, you know i'm into four sixes i'm looking forward to it 1883 but let's get mo you know it's like mo larry curly i think that's also part of it too like the three stooges thing Mm -hmm. you know like mo rainwater and casey i I feel like there's something there i don't know i don't know i don't know how funny taylor sheridan is though so maybe that wouldn't work so
4: (laughs) we're going to talk about jamie but it's kind of like about jamie Because, first of all, I have this little moment where, like, Jamie's playing with his son on the lawn and he's completely oblivious to the fact that, like, the two biggest plotters in his life are now sitting down together and we get to see it finally. Exactly. It was very sweet to, to see him actually with his baby and having some interaction. We still don't have a name, I don't think. Yeah. Yeah, this conversation between Christina and between Garrett... It, uh, it, it it felt totally
3: icky. awful. I wrote down that it turned me off <laughs> because it just is uh, for all the things that Christina hates about John Dutton and Garrett Randall. complain like I hate John Dutton for you know always mani- manipulating Jamie. That's what they're doing. Like they're literally doing the exact same thing. They are the next version of John Dutton, sitting down and planning out his future. Like oh, he makes a good dad, Oh, he makes a good governor. Like ew, stop she's always been cringy and now that she's plotting for him I guess it's even more so does he even want to be governor like what
1: he's more like the man that I always thought he could be (sighs) Yeah, that's
3: what I was about to say I was like in my nose I put like what
4: That is disgusting. How are you a grown woman looking at a man going, well, that's what I want. I want you to become that over there. And I'm going to mold you. You, That is not reality, people. You got a person, Mm -hmm. you love them for who they are, and that you work well together as a symbiotic unit, not to, you know, mold them into something that you think is an ideal. Go find that person. Don't try to change this person because that's not that's never going to work. And I was just very, very cringy. But there's something else about this conversation with christina and garrett this is not the first time they've talked obviously because garrett knew about jamie's covering up of the, the murder of the mm-hmm. reporter which she talked about right last episode but they just there seemed to be this like level of familiarity with them
1: well i think but, what you're picking up on is is he says to her she as he comes to join her he says to her i have a favor to ask of you and her response is listen i'm here
4: yeah what?
1: record scratch like, I'm yeah, here. like that
4: whole, but yeah it was like that whole back and forth like i have a favor to ask like you don't ask that as someone that you just met
1: no 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 i no i'm I'm sorry i'm taking yeah. it differently uh, i'm here is uh implies that she's already done garrett a favor she's here I have a favor to ask of you. Listen, I'm here as if to say I am here because you asked me to come here with this baby, not because I wanted to see Jamie.
4: Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. Like they have a history because you don't just sit down at someone you just met and say, I have a favor to ask. Like they have to have some sort of prior conversation, some sort of prior dealings in order to get to this point
1: yeah he's very specifically it seems to as part of his manipulation and and driving the wedge between jamie and john did the legwork to find out that she had this baby out there and arranged for her to come here steph is that how you took it
3: i didn't necessarily run with that line because i was more distracted by the way they were com- like they were already like plotting together In and cahoots. and manipulating jamie's life and so yeah i mean you don't do that with someone you just met like that's really weird so I could see how, yeah, I mean, that comment sort of adds to that suspicion of, like, why are these two, like, so close already and so willing to, like, discuss what we should do with him next?
1: Yeah, it, yeah, I, I agree. I agree. I think the response of, I need to ask you a favor, and, and when your, your first response is, I'm here that's not the response uh, unless you've already done a favor because it sounds like I'm mm-hmm. here is the first favor so what else are you going to ask of me and, right. and also like she doesn't really want to be here you know she's kind of moved on from Jamie and the Duttons right because the Jamie she knows she feels is like this puppet of John Dutton and she wants him to be a puppet of hers not a puppet of John Dutton's so <laughs> you know she she's not really about being that but now maybe let's see this idea of molding him into a governor he already looks like a governor doesn't he <laughs> (laughs) (laughs)
3: he
4: looks like a governor oh my god that was the other cringy part like besides the molding him into a man that you know she wants
1: there was a kennedy-esque vibe about him though right playing Mm -hmm. with like uh the little baby on the lawn in like his Mm -hmm. nice clothes it was very jack you know jfk playing with jack jr on like the lawn of the white house kind of thing very 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 much so when they said that i understood what they were saying but it's also super cringy
4: as soon as you said Kennedy, I'm like, yes, that's like, because he was in a button-up shirt, like he or a button-down shirt, rather. Um I mean, you know, I know when I go
1: to play with Tom outside, I always put on my finest white linen shirt. Uh, Do you really? Shirt, yeah. Feel yeah. yeah. like, yeah. come, that's son, let us play.
4: So. All, he, all he needed was like the person with like the the home movie camera in front of you, you know, to make sure you captured it all.
1: Right. To
4: make exactly. it, you know, fully. Uh,
1: if I only had a good side, the tri- the, so the
4: trifecta. <laughs> <laughs> I I'm say I'm often like this is a face for podcasts.
1: <laughs> face for podcasts, voice for silent movies. So
4: Yes, I do say that too, voice for silent movies. That's kind of it that I had with that conversation, but I don't I want to talk about Jamie later in the context of like mm-hmm. the bigger announcement that comes. I guess Beth would be the next thing and her her arrival at market equities. Was this not like the best
3: Beth entrance I think <laughs> that we've seen so far? I like when she makes people leave their desk and like <laughs> you're in my spot, so i don't know she she's like, be- a, she's, she's like a
4: boat right she's like a like a big cruise ship like coming through barreling, and then there's like people like following her in her wake. I liked her entrance here. I thought it was very quintessential. Beth, she comes in with like a take no prisoners kind of a, a notion here. firing She fires her assistant in the first ten seconds. <laughs> he figures out that he's shoving the, the the receptionist. Mike, this is what you said earlier. The, the she's over three with assistants. This made me laugh. I'm like, oh my god! I was yeah, like, she's like don't one blown up, one system. shot. I'm like, what happened to the third one? I was trying to remember. Did something happen to the third one? Did you there, fire
1: one? Well, there was the guy, right? The one who ended up getting drunk. Yeah, the drunk. first
4: guy. He yeah. got, he got right. shot, didn't he? Jason, yeah. That was the Jason, guy who Jason, got drunk Jason. and then yes. he got shot. And then another one got, you know, she opened up the bomb. So I don't know about the
3: third What one. about the one that was there when she got attacked in the office? Was there anybody there? That
4: was that, Jason. That was Jason. Oh, that was, that was, that was Jason. Jason. Yeah, he, yeah, he yeah. gets shot in front of her. Yeah.
3: Oh, that's um, right. Yeah, yeah, God, yeah. Yeah. So
4: that was the same guy
3: that had gotten drunk. Uh, yeah, what about the episodes. third one? You're right. Yeah. I, don't know. I feel like there was another but woman.
1: I think there was another woman before the woman who got blown up. Now, to be fair, you know, Beth did yell, don't open the box. And the woman just didn't <laughs> listen. So, you know, good help is hard to find. It was already kind
4: of happening before, you know, fair, the directive came out.
1: Fair, fair, fair. Yeah. I, I, I agree with you guys. I love, you know, Beth is a bull in a china shop. She's this unpredictable cobra snake always. You never know what she's going to do. It'll be the most awkward social thing. Uh, you know, aggressive social thing that will be what she does. Just how it takes form, I think. Mm-hmm. I got to tell you though, I don't like when Beth gets nervous and or scared looking. And I think she, after just a yes. couple of minutes inside that market equities planning meeting, she looks extremely nervous at how it's playing out, and that makes me very nervous. What did you guys think of watching the plans go up? I mean, I I screenshotted it and I wrote out like the large plans and how they have it all labeled and their four phases. Are you guys surprised that it looks so? Big? Because Beth definitely seems surprised that it looks like it's taken over so much of the valley and that they have so much of the planning happening now.
3: I think the surprise is that it's so much so fast. I think she maybe thought she'd have more time. Like in phase one, it would take longer or whatever. And But they're already moving on to like, oh, then we're going to do this. And then like, it's all planned out. The infrastructure is there for all of it. So that I yeah. think was kind
1: of the surprise yeah i mean i agree i running the roads and and doing the power lines and all the infrastructure doing that at phase one you know even some of his colleagues right is calling him out it's like that's very uh presumptuous to do that yeah. mm-hmm. but you know that's totally a power play though on his part because beth especially is in the room uh saying that it's almost like it's already done like we're we're saying yeah. it's done. This snowball is already heading down the mountain and you can't stop it. So yeah, we're going to build the roads at phase one, even though that stuff's not going to come along to connect it to anything until phases two, three, and four. Ballsy.
4: But I feel like she knew all of this last season. So for her to be a little blindsided now is a little out of character or maybe a little bit out of context here because she even said it like th- last season, they're building a city. What did you think was happening with this 52 terminal airport? Where are they going to go? There's going to have to be stuff that's built around it. So for her to be as shocked as she is maybe has to do with the timeline and the Mm -hmm. fact that they're being aggressive. Mm -hmm. But she knew that they were building a city. So none of that should have been a surprise to her at all. But I think the fact that the land that the model was built on looked so fucking familiar to her that she was probably like, um, what the hell? Yeah. Like, what the hell, people? Like, this is happening in, what, 18 months? I'm hoping yeah. that that's yeah. where that, that goes. Not that she was blindsided by the fact that the condos were going to be going up. That it was more the fact that they were laying power lines and roads and, and sewer and all of the other infrastructure for 18 months to five years out. Basically starting that planning and that work right now.
1: I, I, you know, I definitely agree. I think it was the timing that scared her more than anything else. When he turns mm-hmm. to her and says... You suggested it. We're going to make this Park City. You know, yes. he phrased that in such a way that was per- obviously this was their plan. I don't think they changed their plans because of that meeting in the bar where she said, you know, I'd make it Park City. But it's one thing saying it. It's one thing thinking about it. I think it's very much another thing seeing it all out and seeing that model and, and the color-coded planning and the aggressive way which he's clearly taking the timing there. Yeah, I think it. I think it lit a real fear inside of her. Also, a two-terminal 50-gate airport in that valley seems like a lot. That seems like a lot of gates for that kind of regional airport to me.
4: No, they're not building a regional airport. They're building an international airport. Oh,
1: that's right. That's right. Well, it's right, right, it's right. huge. Yeah, I guess, yeah.
4: But I did like the fact that Ellis got... A little bit of a barb, to, you know, to hurl back yeah. at Beth from you know the their meeting with uh, Caroline Weaver a couple episodes ago because right. he was just so put off by her and so like caught off guard that I I was almost like yeah, I'm glad he got kind of like one back at her you know <laughs> he got a right <laughs> jab in there you know in, in order to kind of put her back in her place but yeah Mike to your point earlier a nervous or a scared Beth is someone I do not want to be anywhere near because she's going to fight dirtier than an oil deal in Yemen. Um.
1: Well, I, well, I, I think it's more, for me, I think it's more like when the person who always has the calm, cool you know their face never betrays anything demeanor looks scared yeah i don't know that's when i start looking for like my first aid kit i start looking for the doorways to to hide under you know shit's about to get real so yeah
4: what am i gonna use as a shield (laughs) to protect me from the fray
1: but she recovers herself right and then the Mm -hmm. next thing time we see her she's she's tracking down summer to enlist her to do her dirty work let's listen to a little bit of this clip and then uh let's talk about this part
5: you make that up about the airport give me your phone this one this is a little above your pay grade this one takes effort strategy sacrifice risk real risk, not that bullshit they pulled with my brother. Why the fuck do they need another airport? They're not in the business of need, sweetheart. They're in the business of want and they want it because it's going to make them a shit ton of money and they do not care how many animals they have to kill to build it.
1: Now, I think in any other time, if it suited Beth, I think she would definitely be taking a position of I don't care how many animals it takes. But I think she's kind of a genius here. She's using the words of the protester to to recruit her.
3: This was definitely the smart move for her. Just to add... Any extra fight she can add to this. Like, Summer may not be able to do that much damage to this situation, but it couldn't hurt to add more fuel to the fire. So, and yeah, definitely using language that matters to Summer. Beth doesn't care about the animals, but Summer does. And pointing out to her that, like, you're dealing with the end of this train. Like, you're not attacking the real problem here. So, telling her that the root of the problem doesn't even know you exist. So, sort of giving her, like, a bigger vision of, like, what she should be doing if she's going to try to make a difference. So I think it's definitely a good move for Beth to have put that in Summer's mind. as like, oh,
4: I need to be doing something different. For me, the, uh, the part that made me cringe a little bit or, or just worry for Summer is when Beth tells her that this is going to take effort, strategy, sacrifice, and risk. In Beth's world, risk and sacrifice, just look at her back yeah look at beth's back right what does that mean when she talks about risk sacrifice strategy She's got to help her with the strategy effort you know that's at, summer's got the planning down for that but i don't think summer understands the risk and the sacrifice and i don't think we do yet either
3: uh. but well do you think that beth's going to insert herself into this plan or she just wanted to give summer a different focus I think it's to give
4: her a different focus, but I also think there's no reason to think that Beth isn't going to help direct the narrative
3: a little bit when it comes okay. to Summer's. So protest. they'll they'll meet up again. They'll have another conversation. I think so.
1: I, okay. Maybe I think I think she's largely going to stay out of it though, because part of this is that she has to keep her hands clean, or else it unravels it. I think the whole this is going to take real planning and effort and commitment. I think that was all part of the mental manipulation though right she's she's essentially telling summer you're a bad protester you're out here in front of a store with 15 you know jabronis protesting this <laughs> thing. you're not doing a guy. you're you know what do you, you think you're some poser you think you're some like big shot protester pita would eat you for lunch kind of thing that's how she's treating her <laughs> which i think is very calculated summer thinks of herself as a real deal protester she's here in the yeah. thick of it you know at the gates of yellowstone you know fighting the man kind of thing and 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 Beth is attacking very literally her protester pride to move her to action. So I think all of that, you know, like they, what I'm proposing to you Summer is I don't even think this is above your pay grade, right? She's like doing yeah. like secret codes. It's all meant to make Summer feel like she's got a chip on her shoulder that she has something to prove to spring yeah. her into action. You know, don't come showing up to Fight Market Equities Airport with 15 of these yahoos. You In you,
4: 5 years, do right, it you, now. Right,
1: right. You got to come yeah. you got to come to bear with all, you know, you know with your real protester folks and do the job right not throwing rocks at Casey you got to you got to be ready to blow some shit up and and go eco terrorist i think that's essentially what she's <laughs> challenging her to do by insulting her abilities that reverse uh, psychology kind of thing which i think beth is a master of
4: and summer's taken the bait because she of course she looks, is. Looks very purposeful and walking away going, this is the most fragile ecosystem and they're going to do what to it?
1: Beth is playing 3D space chess. Summer's playing hippie checkers. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> and and just as something else, I think you said, Sheila, about the, the timing of it all. When we get to where she has a conversation about John and she starts naming off all the things he'll be able to do as governor, Almost mm-hmm. all of them are specifically related to slowing down the project by delaying permits or rejecting permits by pulling mm-hmm. funding. All of them are timing because I think she's extremely unnerved by the timing seen in that meeting. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was just a nice callback later in the episode that that's her focus. Right now, she's very much focused on because, you know, on any given day, Beth could be focused on wanting to wedgie Jamie or, <laughs> you know, make a retail person strip down to their underwear and call them fat. Like, you, you never know with Beth. Really? <laughs> where, where her focus is her focus in this episode is very much on this is all moving too fucking fast i've got to slow it down yeah later later in that same episode where Beth is, you know, acting like him running for governor is her Christmas before that, he that you know he calls her up to the lodge I presumably to talk about that, but they end up spending the first part of her visit to the lodge at the end of the episode talking about why his great-grandfather built the lodge and, you know, there's like a nice little 1883 Easter egg tied in here with that show launching on the 19th uh, let's listen to the clip and uh,
2: we'll talk about it you look sad Nah, I, I look lonely. There's a difference. difference. You know, my great. Grandfather didn't build this place with the goal of Pressing anyone. The goal was to. The goal was to just make it big enough that his children never had to leave. But you left anyway.
1: Y'all did. My great grandfather, Tim McGraw. this was interesting to me because they really haven't talked much about what I thought was going to be a big theme of the season was John and legacy building, right? That's Mm -hmm. how kind of how the season. Once he gets out of the hospital, he seems focused on this building a legacy. And part of that legacy though, I think is, is what came before. And what came before is the family living under one roof, like generations and generations of Duttons all living together under this one big lodge roof. So I thought it was actually a nice callback to the legacy aspect, which they haven't really focused on you looking forward and looking backwards at the same time. The idea that Rip is going to be part of the family and so yes I want you and him to live under this house with your straight kid. What did you think of this conversation? Is, is John just in, is he just feeling lonely here or is this part of a larger plan of his? What did you guys think of uh, Sheila? What did you think of his conversation with Rip that did he actually end up asking him or really just kind of told him to do
4: it? <laughs> he just kind of told him. He's still, like, he even tried to you know, correct himself. He goes that didn't really sound like a question, but then he didn't still ask the question, so it was more of John being John and not having that emotional growth that um, that Beth is trying to challenge him on. Uh, I like the fact that he's making this cl- this state that he wants everyone to come back. That the the intention of the house was to have everyone here, not spread out. Calling back to last episode, was last episode the one before when Beth is reading the um, the essay to him you know, that he's, he's lonely. And then she showed up and his heart was full. So I think he's calling back to that thinking that in order for my, you know, for me to be happy, in order my heart to be full, I need to have my children near me and they're getting fewer and further between at this point, between Lee's death, Jamie's unraveling, you know, (laughs) Beth being so close, but so far, and Casey's having his struggles with Monica. So Beth is the most likely candidate for him to bring back into the fold because she said time and time again she's loyal to him she you know he'll never have to question her so i like the fact that he's accepting rip in this role he wants her to be happy and in order for that to happen then if they have to live with him together then that's what's going to happen but no he still didn't ask him at the question no. he still kind of uh, arrived because he goes
3: okay well then it's settled and I'll go is it though really is it <laughs> though? <laughs> or it's decided or he said whatever
1: he said well, Steph, the, the, how do you read I, I want to ask you about that though because how do you read Rip's face though right Rip makes kind of five he, different faces after yeah. John walks away what, what was your takeaway from that is that he doesn't actually actually want to live in a lodge or he's just confused what happened? Or... I think
3: he's just confused. I mean, I think it would be awkward for Rip to live in the lodge but i guess it's big enough that they wouldn't have to like run into each other necessarily but yeah i mean that's just an awkward encounter uh, sort of out of nowhere for your boss to walk up to you and be like so we're family and it's settled then right like what hmm? what just happened we're like i don't in. know yeah like it that's just confusing so i think that, <laughs> that was funny like a lot of different like what just happened here
1: there was a part of me that was wondering if some of the unease on rip's face Was actually going back to the brand conversation because if that's the last interaction Mm -hmm. that him and John have before this conversation, maybe if I'm Rip, I'm wondering, shit, am I in the doghouse with John? Like, we didn't really finish that that conversation. We didn't really finish that conversation either. yet does he want me to move into the lodge because he's gonna Garrett me in the night? Like, (laughs) you know, am I gonna wind up with Lloyd on the edge of my bed with like a wire? Be like, I'm the, you know, I'm the bunk master now. You know, whatever. (laughs) I don't know. That was my Lloyd impression. Was not good. I'm. Sorry, Forry Smith. Don't don't yell at me.
3: Yeah, please don't. Oh, yes, don't yeah. yell at me. It's hilarious. Yeah. We'll put uh, it back in the box after this, we
4: promise. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah. No, I, I took it as that John actually is that lonely. And the the purpose of the ranch and and that big lodge house is to have your family around you. And he has no one. And it's, I mean, that would be sad and depressing and lonely. And you're right. Sheila saying that Beth and Rip are like the closest thing he has right now to a family that can be there with him. and, And why not? Like, there's plenty of room. So come on. I am a little surprised that he said that Carter could come. Like, oh, I don't mind stray kids. Like, eh.
1: Yeah, but, but again, no, he took it, right? He took in, Rip was the straight kid, though. So I know, I, but
3: he didn't live in their house. Like, he didn't live, like, in the be next fair. bedroom and eat dinner at their dinner table. I'm just sort of picturing him running into each other in the kitchen. It's like, awkward.
1: Yeah, but John Don is treating Carter not exactly like Tate. But he's definitely treating him like a grandson. Yeah. You know, just his conversations with him, all the mornings that they're in the barn together first and calling him big fella, that made, me, that made my heart swell three sizes. You, you, best, you <laughs> best write that shit, big fella. That's such like, a, you, call, you call him like, I don't know. It was very, very endearing. John is desperate to have a straight kid or a stray kid or any kind of kid be around. And if it's Carter, okay, okay, it's Carter. You know, yeah. we'll lock up the valuables, I guess, whatever. <laughs> (laughs) i don't know yeah i think i think john is just that lonely so
4: i agree and he's also further removed from the time that he was a father to his kids to your point mike yeah he he wants carter around because i think he sees you know some potential in him he sees you know it's somebody to love we've been hearing a theme as much as legacy building has been a theme this season john's facing immortality or facing his own mortality, let's say it that way, facing his own mortality, he needs people around him. And and we've been hearing a lot in the last couple episodes about how lonely he is. So bringing this this kid in is a way for him to also build legacy, even if he's not blood, but Beth is investing in him. It's a way to to continue that legacy as well.
1: Yeah, I think John's much more about the Dutton family and much more and much less about the Dutton blood. You know, yeah. I think he's perfectly willing to have Rip be the continuation of the Dutton line because it's about the values that that represents. You know, I think that's why he was so I think that's why he he, you know, stood by Lloyd more so than he normally would and was willing to give him another chance. I think that if that was any other bunkhouse guy, he'd be like, mm-hmm. take him to the train station, like we this is all done. But John is about the loyalty and about the values that the being a Dutton represents. And he sees that in Lloyd. He sees that in Rip, these non blood Duttons that are Duttons. Um, you know, and why can't Carter be that? I I I have a lot of firsthand experience about old men uh who decide to treat their grandkids like their second chance of being good fathers or better fathers than they were the first time around Mm -hmm. you know first first pancake kids and grandkids get to be the (laughs) you know the second pancake kid uh so maybe john's thinking that you know like i started with tate but now he's gone so maybe i can you know make carter a better version of casey lee and and jamie
4: i like it we save the best for last like so this was the 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 monumental moment from the trailer that i was like what is happening with this press conference why is john in this official looking place did anybody have john running for governor on their yellowstone bingo card no for season (laughs) four
3: (laughs) i didn't have Linnell pulling up to the ranch either like when she got out of the car i was like what i kind of thought it was jamie at first. Um,
4: yeah, I saw the trailer and she hops out of the, uh, the car in the trailer um, like, for this episode. Um, definitely did not see this one coming. Well, um, yeah,
3: and well, the last word that we heard, the last sentence that we heard the word governor in was about, between Garrett Randall and, and Christina about Jamie, and then next she's over here talking to I was like, whoa, okay, this is has moved along faster than I thought it was. Like, I didn't realize that, you know, she was coming here to to already give her endorsement to Jamie. So
1: it happens out of order, but the way yeah. Jamie the way Jamie reacts when he hears about the press conference and then and assumes that Linnell is talking about him when she takes the podium. Made me realize that Linnell had already told Jamie, "I'm not running, and I'm going to give you my endorsement." Before mm-hmm. going to see John, which is interesting because yeah. she doesn't say that to John. She makes it sound like this is something that's just happening now, and I'm coming to you first. But it definitely seemed like she, in fact, told Jamie, not predicting John's reaction at all, and then didn't go back to Jamie and say, "Oops, by the way,
4: yeah,
3: not, yeah, not I, correcting I, that." I yeah. Yeah yeah. yeah 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 yeah. I got the the impression that Linnell and Jamie had already discussed this at some point maybe yeah. in the past but yeah. yeah
4: yeah just by the fact that he checked himself in the mirror before he left to you know to go down to the press conference tells me he knew 100 percent what was coming
3: yeah for sure what he thought was coming
4: oh <laughs> uh, yeah well w- yeah. what the previously agreed upon that where they last right. left off was um, i'm endorsing you
1: Let, let's listen to this clip though because john has a very uh, a, a very specific and negative reaction to this announcement which i think caught it definitely caught me a little bit by surprise how mm-hmm. how angry he got immediately at the idea but let's listen to his response to uh linnell uh and about Jamie maybe running for governor
0: i think the governor's office is ready for a new generation of leader i think Jamie can take the responsibility absolutely not listen, absolutely he's got not. he's got the name which we know is most important. And he navigated that market equities development with a skill that not even I'm
2: Skill is not his weakness. This is his weakness. It's too much power and it isn't his name, it's mine. There's other options, choose one of them.
0: The other options don't want the Montana that you and I do.
2: now there are things, there are things about my son that you do not know. Things that make him unfit for your office.
0: He's the devil we know, John. I'll take the risk. I mean, unless you want to run for governor, then I'll gladly endorse you. Listen, I just wanted to tell you all this so that you weren't finding out in the newspapers, all right?
2: Linnell. I'll take it.
0: Take it? Take what?
2: Your endorsement.
0: Take it. You are going to run for office just so that your son doesn't get it?
2: That's how bad he'll be for everything you and I work so hard to protect, to destroy it all.
1: He goes on to give a really well-placed fuck uh, as he leans back <laughs> to the after that, but
2: I, I cut it off because it took a little
1: while. governor. <laughs> yeah. I mean, guys, there's a lot of stuff. There's a this lot is... of anger towards Jamie in that clip. Yeah.
4: But he says my son. He calls him my son. So that to me stood out more so than the anger that he was... Showing towards Jamie that he's still, despite everything that's gone on, is still considering him his son.
1: He also says, it's my name, not his. Steph, yeah. why were you taken back? Break it down for us. What, what What's what's your reaction here?
3: Like, I just couldn't really justify that and saying that Jamie's going to destroy everything we work for. Like, no, he's not. He does everything that y'all tell him to do. Like, I just don't get this hatred for Jamie. I think he's easily swayed. And that's the problem. Who, Jamie? Jamie is... Yes, I, Jamie think okay. I mean I mean, I would think that John would agree and think, okay, yeah, we can. He went and supposedly talked to the, you know, prison warden and is going to find out who put the hit out on us. Like he's a little bit on our side, so we can work with that. Like I just didn't really understand the. Immediate anger and rejection of that idea because it's probably something they discussed before. I mean, they've talked about putting him in, in the attorney general spot, like, it made a little bit more sense than John acted like it didn't, you know.
1: If she doesn't even get out no, the full yeah. sentence and he's like, No, absolutely not. No, no, nope. <laughs> no, wrong. He, he pulls out a buzzer, he like he gave her like, yeah. he had her, like a family feud buzzer, <laughs> like, Taboo. a red, a red <laughs> X showed up on his screen, and said, <laughs> so, No. <laughs> So.
4: <laughs> but Beth has been in John's ear exclusively since John got out of the hospital, or since John woke up, let's put it that way. Beth mm-hmm. has, uh, we know, this this longstanding hatred, and we, we know why, but also because she also is convinced that he's the one responsible, ultimately, for the hit on the family. She's the one that's been in John's ear, so for him to have this level of hatred towards Jamie doesn't come as a surprise to me, given what she feels about Jamie, but I also was... Heartened to hear him say, "My son there you know calls him my son there are things about my son, even though he's saying the worst things possible about his son it's still he's yeah. still owning him
1: I, I mean i I have to i'm going to disagree with you a little bit. I think he only treats Jamie as a tool i I don't think he actually has a deep, deep well of love for Jamie, not like he does for Beth, not like he does for Casey. I, he has a love for Jamie insofar as Jamie is useful for him. So he's only in favor of Jamie running for Attorney General when it suited their particular needs at that particular time. Because remember, right. he started to run originally, and then he was like, "No, you, you're not fucking running. We're pulling you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put. He put up that that uh, the lady against Cassidy, him. Cassidy, yeah, Cassidy. yeah puts yeah. up Cassidy yeah. against him because that was the right tool for that job. So. And the I think the most revelatory line of that tirade is this is his weakness is too much power. John doesn't trust Jamie. He only trusts Jamie to do the things that John wants him to do in the way it's the same way. It's the same conditions that Beth put on Carter. Jamie can only do what John wants to do in the way John wants them done. And if he becomes Mm -hmm. governor, that lid comes off. He won't be able to control He won't be able to control Jamie in that same way. He can control him somewhat... In the general, attorney general's office. But if you ask him, I imagine he would even say he hasn't been able to control that nearly enough, let, given how what's happened with market equities and all that. So I, I think that's what it is. His love for Jamie only goes insofar as he can control him. And as governor, he will not be able to control Jamie.
4: John's love of Jamie is conditional on how useful Jamie is to him. But the fact that he still had the ownership to say, my son, like it just it shows me that John's human right that he still has a feeling towards Jamie even though he's he's mad at him and, and there's a funny line that happens at the press conference between them that just so we get to the point where John has this first meeting with Jamie since everything went down and he thanks him for the flowers and it was just such a cold unfeeling kind of a statement but You know, you juxtapose it next to he still calls him his son, but yet he's he's treating him like the the tool he is and right now. He's not that useful. So, yeah, no, I see your side of it. Definitely. And I endorse that. At the same time, he still has familial feeling towards Jamie.
1: Can we get to that press conference? Cause that is uh, some, <laughs> that is, that is some scene. Uh, I, I, I mean, I definitely want to play the clip for you guys, but I, let's set the table again. John surprised me, I guess, a bunch in this episode. I was surprised at how cold he was walking by Jamie. That fa- I expect Beth to be beyond icy and, and like openly hostile, but. Lanell calls out John's name and he walks by him. Doesn't even look at him. Doesn't pat him on the shoulder. Doesn't say, sorry, son, You know, he doesn't do anything. He just walks by him. It's not until he's at the podium that he glances back at him. That's cold blooded especially not having revealed anything beforehand just saying you know i wouldn't miss it for a world you know like you know but obviously he knows what's gonna happen but he knows jamie doesn't he really takes jamie for a fucking ride here yeah yeah it's it's really interesting steph what did you what did you think of his treatment of jamie prior to the podium stand and that whole scene was it delicious or was it no i feel bad for jamie
3: Well, I'm always on the I feel bad for Jamie side of things. So I think I'm like the only one, but I am. I just feel bad for this guy. Like he, I don't, I just don't understand why you have to treat him like that. If you're going to take the governor race from him, like, why do you have to do it like that? Like, can't you just send him an email or something like, geez, like, it's just so harsh. And yeah, so I... uh, I would expect that he was treating him that coldly, like "Oh, thanks for the flowers." Like,
4: well, this is also where I come back to the notion that Beth has been in John's ear, so it didn't surprise me that he was that cold to Jamie.
3: I thought it was really harsh that they had Beth standing there. Like, really? Come on.
1: She's not gonna miss that, though. That's-
3: I know she's not, but that's just like taking the knife and twisting it. Like, jeez.
1: Yeah, in his
4: face. Yeah
1: after the I want you to move to the lodge uh, there is that scene where John kind of casually you know throws out that he agreed to run for governor uh, and wants her help to not run for governor but she once she has those hooks you know in him that she she acts basically like this is Christmas
2: day for her let's listen to Beth's (laughs)
1: reaction
5: not on your life
2: no Beth listen to me I can't spend the next four years of my life in Helena
5: the ranch won't be here in four years dad Listen to me. As governor, you will have the power to withhold funds. You have the power to reverse state land grants. You have the power to shut that fucking airport down. You have the power to withhold building applications and tax exemptions. You have the power to withhold gambling licenses. You have the power to run those fuckers out of this valley and then you get to pass a law so they can never return. You always tell me that there is a way, another way to save this ranch without selling, so this is the way. Tell me there's another. This is the way. You know that, don't you?
2: Yeah, honey, I just, just wish it wasn't.
1: Now, I, I think he, I think everything she's saying in there we've heard them say before, we and we know is on Beth's agenda. I want to talk about the fact that another glass gets really thrown yeah. into the
0: fire,
1: <laughs> and again, it's because Jamie's involved.
4: Like how many of those things do they have? I think they just buy him in like the sixth set, and they just you know
3: just keep them around because he, you think know.
1: he's just that Sam's like he sends Gator to sam's yeah. for, for Jamie throwing rock tumblers, you know? Yep,
3: just keep him on on the Amazon. Uh, sh- Subscribe and save. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, we'll need it
4: like the, we'll need six every three months or so. Yeah, I think, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe faster if we find out who actually if John find out who did the hit. Yes. Yeah,
1: Jamie's coming to the house for the weekend. I I need the three boxes of glasses.
4: Yeah. You know, like, yeah. This, like plan kind of thing. Like one
3: per day. Oh yes. Yeah.
1: Fifteen bottles of whiskey and uh, three three cases of glasses. We're gonna be going through some stuff. But uh, <laughs> does, does anything in there surprise you uh, about uh, this plan? And and does it make sense then when you hear John basically declaring war on anyone who would stand in his way, including his son? I think you see, I think, Sheila, you're right, the the Beth more and more is not only talking in John's ear, but I think more influencing him. We heard that clip. Now we roll right into the John's speech, which closes this episode. And I think you, they're bookends to each other, really.
2: You don't see it on your way to work in the fields or... On the mountain. But there's a war being waged against our way of life. They'll tell you all the reasons why our way of life is is just the beginning. Bad for this country. Bad for our future. How it's immoral that you live here, work here, grow their food here. They will tell it so much you might even start to believe it yourself. Question what you do and who you are. They'll tell you that. The land's only hope is for them to be its steward. The ugly truth is they want the land. And if they get it, it will never look like our land again. That is progress in today's terms. So if it's progress you seek, do not vote for me. I am the opposite of progress. I'm the wall that it bashes against and I will not be the one who breaks. damn son <laughs>
3: <laughs> that's a little intense
1: i mean it's like if if uh you know al capone from untouchables came out of the next scene be like i'm scared of that guy i would get it that is that is not the speech a governor makes in new york or california say, is that the
3: way to in
4: win an an
1: election? I, th- I think it does in montana i mean I for certainly it, in montana. yeah
4: I, I really want a john dutton campaign slogan button you're damn right i did it is going to be yeah. my campaign, so I need that as a campaign. I need a shirt. I need something. It'll be on Etsy tomorrow. There you go. But I do think that Beth's conversation with John gives him the resolve that he needs in order to drive that yeah. speech. Like that is that is Beth talking in his ear about what he can accomplish for himself. The state of Montana is sort of like the collateral beneficiary of what he can achieve.
1: But it's also what John has been saying the entire run of the show and obviously for longer than that, that this way of life is being taken from them. The progress is marching literally into the valley to rip it away. I think that's why he gets along with Rainwater uh, as well as he does as much as they are enemies of each other. Neither of them want progress. They both want this to look as it did 100 years ago, obviously with different ownership, uh, you know, each for their own side. But I think their uniting cause, the bigger devil that they want to fight, is this idea of progress. And that's saying I'm the wall against which progress will break is a significant line to be your campaign <laughs> right? of a state in this country. <laughs>
4: yeah, that's, that's going to be your soundbite. I also thought that he sounded very much like rainwater in this speech. That was uh part of like what I was framing my notes around that he sounds like rainwater saying that, you know, this is not going to look like our land. That's the mantra that we've been hearing from the Rainwaters, the Angela Blue Thunders. I like the fact that he put his claim out there, his stake. There's going to be a lot of people in Montana who like the fact that this is his war declaration. You said it earlier, Mike, that this is his declaration of war on progress.
1: Stephanie. Is this too far, too much? I mean, I know you uh, you have some Jamie sympathies. Uh, is 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 Jamie going to tuck tail? Is your prediction, or is he going to rally with Christina and Garrett and and bring to bear their own war their own war? Because let's not forget and pretend like John doesn't have you know a, a trailer full of skeletons. He doesn't even have a closet. He's got an entire yeah. trailer full of them. D- is this the no, time he's got a
4: whole train station he's got a whole train yeah.
1: station full. <laughs> There's a, a gorge of dead bodies you know is this is this now when jamie finally takes the gloves off and no longer protects john's secrets and instead begins to actively use them something that he has always shied yeah. away from doing
3: i was getting that impression that's what i was writing in my notes was like he this looked like a turning point for him like on his face, like he he was looking even more devastated and angry than any of the other blind times they've blindsided him. So I mean, this is that's the thing is that they've done this to him before, and and yet again, his dad's there, like taking over and taking a spot and. I mean, yeah, I don't think that Jamie's going to just let this go, especially knowing what he knows about Garrett Randall. And I just feel like this is going to be a catalyst for Jamie to do something, maybe to pit Garrett Randall and John against each other. I don't know. But I just think that he's being encouraged now to, like, kind of be on his own. Like, he's got his own place now. He's got his own this and on that. And now you're taking this away from him again. So I think he's going to have to do something about it.
1: Right. I mean, in a lot of ways, this feels like the next step of, you know, when he was buying his ranch and you know, and the guy asked him who he was going to put it in the Yellowstone's name, and he said, "No, it's not for the Yellowstone. This is for me. This yeah. feels like the next step of that, right? I'm doing this for me. So, I would. I became Attorney General, yes, because I wanted to be Attorney General and I wanted that power, but also because my father, John Dutton, wanted me to do it. I was doing it for the Dutton family. He's not. I agree. He's not going to back down now because this, for the first time, he'll actually have family supporting him in doing the thing that he wants. So he yeah. he has as, right, his weakness is power. He wants the power, he wants to control things. And now he's going to have family in the form of Garrett and Christina and the unnamed baby to actually, you know, bracing him and you know, putting that hand on the small of their smaller back and keeping pushing him forward. He's never had that before. He's never had yeah. someone encouraging him to take off the gloves and fight against John. Because it's always been John who said stand down or stand up. It's gonna exactly. be an interesting yeah, it's gonna be an interesting yeah. dynamic for the first time. Unless I'm misremembering, I don't think John realizes how much time Jamie and Garrett are spending together at this point either. He doesn't know that there is a Garrett in Jamie's ear at this point.
4: I don't think he knows that he's there at all. Yeah. We know about Garrett, but John doesn't know about Garrett.
0: Right. Yeah. So Being in Jamie's
4: life right now. And then this, this this to me reinforces what I said to you, Steph, last week with Paul, that the showdown that's coming is between John and Garrett. Like there's going to be mm-hmm. some sort of confrontation between these two. And this now is and the Jamie's going to be
3: like the catalyst. Yeah. And
4: Jamie. Yes. Yeah, so, and Jamie's like caught in the middle now. And it's going to be like, well, where are your loyalties? Is it to the man who raised you or is it to the man who brought you into this world?
3: And who is supporting you now? Like, where's John?
4: And then at some point, Jamie's going to be like, I need to, you know, pick a side. And I I just don't think it's going to be on the John side if I had to, you know, kind of read the tea leaves here. But I also think at some point, Jamie's going to bring his new grandson into John's life as a card. Yeah. Because if John is is hell-bent on legacy building and we've been seeing it, Jamie knows that Tate is a soft spot for John. I think that he's going to use this baby somehow as as leverage. It's because it's the only leverage he has. Yeah.
1: I don't know. A lot like, of fireworks coming. I'm
4: excited. There's what episode eight is next week.
1: I feel like next week is going to be a big powder cake episode, right? Episode I hope so. right because the penultimate usually. Is, is, is seven and eight of a ten episode season usually starts to set the table. Nine mm-hmm. is when shit goes crazy, and then ten is continuing the crazy the cliffhanger and, and, and introducing the cliffhanger in and fallout from whatever happened in nine. So wait, so that
4: also so I love if, it. The, if next week's episode is like the powder keg that's going to set us off for the you know the final three, there's going to be a break after that because you got Christmas and New Year's after that. So they're going to leave us on like a mini cliffhanger, I think. Yeah, because they're not going to air an episode on the day after christmas when nobody's paying any attention they're all fat uh, from their turkey.
1: i don't know about that i i, no? I don't know yeah, i haven't, I I haven't know. seen i haven't seen the release schedule if they're actually going to bump it i would be surprised if they did it though it's i think if it was on christmas maybe but on the 26th i think the people who are watching yellowstone are gonna be watching yellowstone on the 26th right so
0: okay
1: yeah you know, put you know you go, phil, phil phil graham with some <laughs> eggnog and let me go watch my show kind of <laughs>
3: I want to see Jamie like actually do something explosive. Like I want to see this.
1: Yeah, he has to be at this breaking point, Come on. right? Yes. Uh, I mean, and, ha- yeah.
3: Gosh, how many times can they stab him in the back? And he's just like, oh, okay.
0: Yeah.
4: Well, like, because no. you, you and I have said like how spineless he is, but now like his dad is giving him a spine. What is he going to do with this emboldened relationship, this empowering relationship for good or for worse? Um, it's going he has to do something for himself at this point
1: my feeling uh, is I'm going to and I'm going to put this in a vague log line like you would get in like a TV guide ad: is <laughs> Jamie is going to make a decision and take some action that won't be able to be undone. <laughs> I think I think it's going to be something like that. It's going to be I think it's going to be something violent and I think it's going to be something not reversible. I don't know exactly what that looks like, but those <laughs> words feel right to me. He's going to do mm-hmm. something that he's not going to be able to walk back or say sorry for in any kind of way against his father and or Beth. That's that's my gut feeling, or or Garrett will do something that Jamie is like tacitly approving of. You know, Garrett's gonna be like, yeah. I'm gonna go kill. This I hope spang. it's Jamie
3: though. I hope Jamie is the one that does something. I'm rooting for you, Jamie. I'm on your side, man.
1: Steph is rooting for Jamie to be violent. Let's. No, let's, uh, I'm rooting uh,
3: for him to stand up for himself and make a decision.
1: All right, let's all we all heard here first. Steph, <laughs> Steph wants Jamie to become a cold-blooded murderer no, again, I didn't but say that. for a second time. So. <laughs> Intentionally, this time I'd say his first mm-hmm. murder was unintentional. It was
4: pretty Ingrate. spontaneous. Yeah, this one was, will be premeditated.
1: Yeah. I mean, he's the only guy in history who ever killed someone in the most spineless way possible. So <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I gotta go get <laughs> you to help to clean it up, please. guys. Thank you so much for having me on this episode. Thanks for coming, I, Mike. Thanks for being here. This was fun. This I'm, was a super a lot
3: sized fun. episode too. Yeah, I
1: know, and I feel like I I, I uh, offended Steph's delicate ears with my. Uh, <laughs> With me and Jimmy anyway I just off oh you guys I'm
2: getting used to it we got 15 more to collect
1: y'all we got 15 more to collect get used to it we are did we do it 15
2: ho- times in we here we are jerking
1: clip? our horses this episode guys. oh this
3: my god
1: nice. but thank you though for having me on maybe yeah. next time if we're you know if we're doing anything else like masturbating horses or ox or cows or whatever bulls uh, you we'll know,
3: invite you back please you, yeah. know, you know what my specialty <laughs>
1: is now that's yeah. like my niche so yep. I appreciate it.
4: Well, I mean, <laughs> if the schedule continues, you would be the next up with us for the finale, no?
1: I think you may get a, a full slate of people oh. uh, for that. I, I don't know that we've actually discussed that, but I, I think you may be seeing a crowded house uh, joining you guys for the finale. Interesting. Don't
4: dream me so... Sorry. see crowded house. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be fantastic.
1: I think yeah. I, I, in my head I was going to, like, we'll all move into the lodge together. I think that was actually what my oh, brain was Oh, sorry. You said to.
4: crowd house. My brain oh, went sure. to music. So. For sure. For yeah. sure. I was, I was yeah. you know,
1: like, my, I was want well, my family together and you all moved away.
4: So thank you guys for listening. This is Steph. This is Sheila.
1: And this is Mike.
4: We'll see you all next week. Thanks.
1: Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production.